you. We are in a series in the Old Testament book of Exodus. And um, last week, Pastor Andrew um, walked us through Exodus chapter 5. And we looked at the reality of God's slowness or his seemingly slowness to act to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt and into a new life that he had promised them, the disappointment and the discouragement and the loss of hope that they experienced because they were brought this message by Moses of freedom and deliverance. And in the face of that, the rulers of Egypt increased their burdens, doubled down on their commitment to enslave God's people And we find Moses, God's chosen leader, his hand-picked deliverer of his people, discouraged too. And if you read books or commentaries about Exodus, a lot of times you'll find Moses pictured or painted as this heroic figure. And there are certainly times in Moses' life where he acted heroically and, and times where he was a great leader of God's people. But At the end of chapter 5, we see a more relatable Moses, don't we? We see a Moses who is discouraged, who is down in the dumps, disillusioned, and questioning God. Why have you sent me to do this? Why did you send me here in the first place if you knew I was going to get rejected by Pharaoh? If you knew the people, you haven't kept your promise. God, you haven't kept your promises to me. You haven't kept your promises to your people. Moses had heard God, and to some extent, he had believed God. He was here. He was doing what God had asked him to do and sent him and commissioned him to do. But after the response and the rejection of Pharaoh, after the response and the rejection of the Israelites, we find Moses here at the end of chapter 5 in real confusion. He can't see. He can't see past the surface. He can't make sense of what God is doing. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were in Florida, and I was standing out in the uh, Gulf of Mexico. It was about waist deep, and um, I couldn't see below the surface of the water. And I, to be honest, that kind of freaks me out. Because I don't know what's about ready to touch my leg. I don't know what I'm going to step on. And that's why, like, you know, when you step into bodies of water that are just crystal clear and you can see all the way down, that's what makes it so amazing because it's a sensation that you don't normally have when you're standing out in the ocean or in a lake or or whatever. Um, Moses couldn't see, he was disoriented. The people were disoriented. They couldn't see for the discouragement. They couldn't see what God was doing for their suffering. And that's something I want to sit in with you this morning. Is how do we reconcile what God has said and what God has promised with our experience of life? How do we make sense of hearing what God says, being asked to trust that what God says is true, and then living in an experience that's different, that's contrary to those things. I know what God said, 
but that's not how I feel. I believe that God will make good on his promises, but I'm not doing well. And we live in a culture, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in, uh, on Easter, we live in a culture that doesn't help us with this. We live in a culture, we've grown up in a culture where the thing that ultimately matters is the present. Our experience of this life now, my life, my experience. I have to be true to myself. I have to be uh, pursuing a life that is happy, a life that is comfortable, a life that gives me fulfillment, who don't identify as Christians. That's not a thing out there. We want that too, right? Like so much of our lives, if we're honest, is built around the fact that we want a good life. Like we want a good, happy, fulfilling experience of life. And the same question that we can say, well, people out there are asking this. this, We ask the same question. If I believe in God, if I believe what God says, Will it make my life better? Will it make my life better? If so, I'm all in. Sign me up. I'll do whatever we need. I'll do whatever it takes. But if it doesn't, or if it takes too long, I don't know. I don't know. And this is where the rubber meets the road, right? This is where the rubber meets the road. What we say and how we live, what we say we believe and our experience of it, that is life. That is life. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that's something that we have to reconcile and we have to wrestle with. And in Exodus chapter 6, as we look here this morning, we are going to see how God responds to the discouragement and the disillusionment of hearing his promises, trying to believe in his promises, and being stuck in our own experience. So if you would turn to Exodus chapter 6 with me, we'll start by just reading the first five verses here together. Exodus chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do with Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived in as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. Moses wrote this passage many years later as a, to set the stage for what we're going to look at in the coming weeks the, the plagues that God would bring on the Egyptians as his plan to deliver his people began to unfold. But Moses sets the stage here for the reader, for us, to see that things were pretty desperate in Egypt. Things were pretty desperate with God's people. They had lost hope. 
They were broken down. Things were desperate with Moses, the man who was supposed to lead the people out of, Israel, out of Egypt. He was drowning in doubt. And in the midst of these, this doubt, in the midst of this confusion, and these questioning, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why haven't you made good on your promises? How does God answer? To make it about himself. God's answer to the questions, God's answer to the confusion is to make it about himself. He begins by saying, now. Now you will see what I am ready to do. Now you will see what I have promised come true. There is a right time, and that right time is when God chooses to act. There is a right time. And that is when God chooses to act. Moses had been waiting for God to act. Moses had been frustrated because God hadn't acted up to this point. Moses was seeing and experiencing God as being slow, as being distant, as being disconnected. But listen, if we knew what God knows, if we could see the whole scope of human history the way that God sees it, we would want God to act the way that he acts. And we would want him to act when he chooses to act. But we don't see that. And we don't know that because we're not God. We haven't been given that ability to see all things, to step out of time and space and see the future, to see the past, to see how those things connect. As we've said over and over again, as we've looked through the book of Exodus, Exodus is not about Moses. It's not about the Israelites. Exodus is about God being God. It's about God revealing to his people that he is God. And just and here, just like a loving parent does, like many of us who have kids do, God comes to Moses, he listens to Moses, and what does he do? He redirects Moses. He says, get your eyes off this and get them here. Wait, watch me now. Watch me what I watch what I am going to do right now. And he goes on to say, here is what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. I will take action. God is guaranteeing the outcome here. He says, I am the Lord. And he appeared to Abraham. He started with Moses' ancestors. He is the same God. He has made that, that same commitment that he made generations ago. He is still committed to. And he says, I have heard the groaning of Israel. God is aware of their experience. He sees their pain. He hears their cries for help. What God is doing here is like when we're watching a sporting event and it's coming down to the wire, it's a close game, and they put up the game reset. You know, here's, here's how many timeouts each team has. Here who has. Here's who has the ball. Here's how many fouls. This is what God is doing here. He's resetting the stage for Moses. And he's saying, listen, I want you to know, here's what's true. Here's what I'm committed to. These things haven't changed. Because Moses had forgotten really quickly his whole experience at Mount Horeb. Do you remember that? In Exodus chapter 3, where God comes to him, God reveals himself to him, and the whole thing that God is trying to get him to see in that moment is this, I will be with you. 
I will be with you. Despite Pharaoh's hard heart, despite the Israelites blaming Moses for their situation now, God is saying to Moses, hey, hey, I'm still here. I'm still God. I'm still in this thing. God's kindness and God's patience with Moses is that he doesn't invalidate Moses' experience, does he? Moses comes and he says, where are you? You're distant. You haven't made good on your promises. Why did you do this? Why did you send me here if you knew this was going to happen? God doesn't invalidate that. God doesn't tell Moses to just get over himself or that it's not that bad. God simply says, Moses, look at me. Look at me. And now watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do. Look at chapter 6, verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God will deliver. No more burdens. No more slavery. And Egypt will be judged for what they have done to God's people. God will change his people's lives. God will change their status. God will change the injustice that has happened to them. God will relate to them in love as a father. They will be drawn into a relationship with him, a family God, a family into a family with God. They will be known by God, and they will have a relationship to know the God of the universe. And God says, I will give them a future. I will give them a future. I will bring them into a land that they can call their home, and I will give them a life of fullness. Another reset here. These aren't new. These are things that God had already promised Moses. He had already said to Moses. He had already, Moses had already voiced to the Israelites. But God, again, is drawing Moses in his discouragement, in his disillusionment, back to who he is, to his promises, to reassure Moses, hey, I'm not on plan B. I'm still on plan A. Things have not changed. I'm still working. I'm still in this. And then we finish this passage in verse 9 here. Moses spoke these things to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me, How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. It's an unfortunate phrase there. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people out of the land 
of Egypt. Moses takes the promises of God. Moses goes to the people and shares these things with the people to re-energize the people, to reassure the people. And if I was writing this story, I would write it in such a way where they're like, okay, yes, we were wrong to doubt. We're ready to go now. But that's not what happened. Moses tells the people these things. He shares this hope with them. God is still in it. God is still with us. God is still working. He's going to make good on his promises. And because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery, they couldn't hear it. They couldn't listen to it. They couldn't accept it. Now, we know about the harsh slavery, but there's something new here. A broken spirit. A broken spirit. The Hebrew word for that brokenness is a short spirit. A short spirit. And I can't help but thinking about trying to light a candle when the wick is too short. That it just catches, it, it just can't catch. The flame just can't take. God's promises to the people were there, given to them, but they just, they couldn't take hold of them. They couldn't accept them. Their broken down spirit, their discouraged spirit, they couldn't see. 400 years of slavery will do that to you. Having hope that God is going to redeem you. And then having your burdens increased will do that to you. Having these promises and being forced to wait on them will break you down. Life breaks us down. Relationships that end in betrayal. Chronic pain. Loved ones taken from us by disease. Dreams for our lives or the lives of our children that are shattered. Addictions that grip us. Financial burdens that seem to crush us. Violence at our doorstep. Facing injustice day after day, anxiety, depression. I mean, th these aren't extreme things. These are things that each of us have faced to varying degrees. That some of you, I don't know everyone in this room in your life, but I know that some of you are walking through these things right now. And the promises of God can sound trite and they can sound hollow in the face of these experiences. And it's hard to take hold of them. It's hard to think of who God is. It's hard to understand that God is working, that God is for us and not against us, that God is with us and not distant from us when we face these things. We get our hopes up only to be disappointed by waiting. And against our better judgment, we can allow ourselves to become distrustful of God or at best, we can just distance ourselves from him. Moses here is a picture of this broken spirit. He says to the Lord, when God says, go and tell Pharaoh these things, he's like, God, I just told the Israelites and they didn't listen to me. I did that already. What makes you think it's going to be any different? 
Moses is so discouraged. He's so confused. He's so at a loss for what to do. He can't see. For Moses to believe God again, for the Israelites to trust that God will make good on his promises is a risk. They risk facing discouragement and disappointment all over again. The same is true for us. That when we experience the hardness of life, when we are drugged through the mud of this life, when we have thing after thing after thing happen to us, and then we hear God's promises, it's hard for us to believe those things again. It's a risk. And that's why so many of us, if we're, we're just cynical. It's easier to be cynical. It's easier to just assume that things won't work out. It's easier just to assume that our lives won't offer us fulfillment. It's easier to assume that things are just going to be different than what we had hoped that they would be because to think otherwise opens ourselves up to even more disappointment, even more potential hurt, even more potential pain. Losing hope again. After we thought we had it. Here's the connection that I want to make from this passage for us this morning. First, God's promises are backed by God's character. In verse 8, he ends that section of saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. By saying, I am the Lord. God put his name on the line here. I count in this section 18 I statements in eight verses. Um, If this was an interaction between two people, this wouldn't have gone well. Because we've all been in those situations where we start expressing pain and disappointment and hard things that we're going through to someone, and then it becomes a story about their lives. You know, well, I was, that happened to me too, and this is what I did, and I, and me, myself, and I, and me, and it just keeps going on and on and on, and people make it all about themselves. And that's discouraging, and that's annoying, and we don't like to be around people like that. But God is the one person that we want to talk like this. God is the one person that we want to make it all about himself. And here's the reason why. Because it's comforting. And it's actually helpful. Listen to these words from the book of Hebrews chapter 6. The writer of Hebrews is referring back to Genesis chapter 22. When God made these promises that he refers to here with Moses to Abraham. And the writer of Hebrews says, writes, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves And the oath confirms what is said said, and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear 
to the heirs of what he promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. If you know that story in Genesis 22, where Abraham is ready to sacrifice his son to God as a commitment to his God, which seems crazy to us and awful to us, and it is, but was normal in that day was commonplace in that day for gods, for gods of Abraham's homeland where he came from, for people to offer their kids as sacrifices to the gods that they served. That God steps in to save Isaac, to tell Abraham, do not do this, to show that he is different from all these other gods that he is not evil, that he is not unjust, that he does not demand these kind of things from his people, that then God reaffirms to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm not going to take your son from you. In fact, from your son, I'm going to give you a line of heirs, a line of descendants that is going to be made into a great nation that will bless all the other nations of the world. And in that, God swore by himself because there wasn't anybody greater to back that promise up than himself. And the writer of Hebrews tells us when God says something, when God makes promises to his people, he cannot lie. He cannot go back on his word. And so we, when we read about the promises of God, from God, that he will forgive us, that he will give us freedom, that he will deliver us from spiritual oppression, from human injustice. When it, we read those promises of healing from disease and from sickness, when we read the promises of God that he will be our help in times of trouble. These are promises that have God's name attached to them. And as we have seen, God's name is God himself. When God says my name, he is saying me. He's saying me. This is who I am. This is my character. This is my essence as God. He is putting his name and himself, his character on the line, and God will make good on his promises. We don't know how. We don't know when. We're not given that. But we are given the fact that because God is true, because God is truth, he is behind what he says. And we can take comfort and we can take assurance from that. But secondly, God reveals himself by making good on his promises. We read in verse 3, He tells Moses that he made these promises to his ancestors, to Abraham. But he said, I did not fully reveal myself to them. Because God is getting ready to fully reveal himself. That the promise to bring his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, they are going to see God and his power to deliver in ways that no one had seen up to that point. God is looking forward and implying that what he was about to do 
would show them who he really was. The significance of God's name would be understood by Israel, would be understood by Egypt. God's mighty saving power, making good on his promises, would distinguish him from all the other gods that people worship and would reveal finally and for all that God is who he says he is, that he is the one true God. I think what can cause some of our confusion and some of our disappointment in the way that we handle the promises of God is honestly the way we interpret them. When we think about God's promise to forgive us, sometimes we can take that to mean that we'll never face any consequences, that we'll never feel any conviction for our sin for the way that we treat other people. Sometimes when we think of freedom from addiction or freedom from just, you know, anger or, or just these things that keep coming up into our lives, sometimes we can think that, well, that means I won't ever face those again. I won't ever struggle with that again. When we think about God's providence and he, Him meeting our needs, sometimes we translate that to mean that God's going to help me maintain the lifestyle that I want that the other people around me have, that I won't ever feel the sacrifice, that I won't ever feel the burden financially. When we think about God's promise to heal, sometimes we think that that means he's going to do it immediately. He's going to do it when we want it, that we won't suffer, that we won't feel pain. And when we think about God being a help in our times of trouble, Honestly, what we want is to just not face trouble at all. Sometimes God, in his grace, gives us exactly what we ask for, gives us exactly what we want. But most of the time, God is doing things that we aren't even aware of, things that we don't have the eyes to see. Think of what kind of evil and suffering that he's kept you from. Think about the spiritual attacks that he's protected you from that you don't even know about. Think of the daily goodness that you experience, that you take for granted. The point of God's power is not that we get the stuff, but that we get the giver. The point of God's power is that we know him and experience life with him to show us more and more of who he is, revealing himself to us. We're so tempted to confuse the gifts with their giver, to make the gifts of God a substitute for the giver. But we need to ask ourselves a real question. If believing in God won't improve my life the way I want, would I still believe in him? Would I still trust him? Would I still hold on to the hope that he will make good on what he's promised? What we will continue to see in the book of Exodus as we move forward is that God will bring his people out of Egypt but he will continue to work to bring Egypt out of his people because they will face hardship. 
They will face more times of doubt and confusion. And they will cry out and say, we were better off as slaves. We were better off in the land of Egypt. We were better off in these circumstances that we read right now that they were so anxious to get out from under. But that is God's work in them. That's God's work in us. That his work in us and in our lives doesn't always make sense. And it's not always on our timetable. And it's not always in the way that we want it to happen. And I wish I could sit here and give you some logically sound reason for the way and and the reason why God does work the way that he works. But I can't. I can't. And the Bible doesn't give us those things either. The point of God's power, the point of God working the way that he does is to bring us more and more and more to the place where we realize that God is God and I am not. That God is God and I am not. And we wrestle and we wrestle with these things. Like I said a few minutes ago, I know some of you in this room and I know what you're walking through. A lot of you I don't know, and I don't know what you're experiencing in life. And you may be in a season right now where it is just really, really hard to trust God. It's really hard to hear the promises of God and not just think, yeah, man, whatever. Whatever. That sounds good, but that's not what I'm feeling. That sounds great, and I want that. I want to want that. But I just can't right now. I just can't. I wish I had something better for you this morning. But my encouragement to you this morning is just this, that what God wants from us is sometimes just to get out of bed in the morning and to put one foot in front of the other. To believe that God is God. To believe that what he has promised us is true. To believe that what he has said he was going to do, he will make good on that. And it's not to believe that perfectly. It's not to believe that without doubts. It's not to ever experience life without confusion. Read the scriptures and you will see men and women all throughout history who have wrestled with these things. And and look around this room. And you will talk to person after person after person who, if they're not now, have or will wrestle with this truth. That sometimes God promises, sometimes we have to believe those promises, even when they fly in the face of our experience. 